Companies with engaged employees experience lower turnover, higher productivity, improved communication and collaboration, enhanced customer service, and increased sales. According to research, an increased focus on employee experience can increase revenue profits by more than 50%. This is why 84% of executives rate employee experience as important to delivering better customer experiences, according to Deloitte. Unfortunately, less than 10% of firms say they are ready to actively improve employee experiences. I'm excited to have Tiffany Bova, the Global Customer Growth and Innovation Evangelist at Salesforce and the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of the new book, The Experienced Mindset on the Banking Transform podcast. We discuss why organizations need a new operating mentality that takes into account the needs and preferences of both customers and employees with every decision made. Whether a customer receives positive or negative experiences with your business is almost always based on the perceived quality of the interaction they had, either directly or indirectly, with one of your employees. Bottom line, if a bank or credit union cares for its people, they feel engaged and empowered. In turn, they will care for your customers. So welcome to the show, Tiffany. You know, first of all, congratulations on your new book and being a top five bestseller after only a few weeks in the marketplace. That's pretty amazing. Oh, thank you, Jim. Um, yeah. Before we begin, can you share a little bit of your background with our audience and why you decided to write another book, The Mind Experience Mindset? Well, I've been in and around tech now for 30 years, which is shocking to actually say out loud for so many reasons. Um, but I started my career as an individual quota carrying sales rep, uh, you know, selling technology, software, hardware, then services, then sort of everything. Uh, and then I was really early in this thing called the World Wide Web, um, all the way in 2000. The first domain name I ever sold to someone was 1996, literally. And uh, the first time I ever bought a domain name was a year later in 1997. So uh, I was very early in in the cloud and really trying to push businesses to understand the value of this off-premise kind of solution that would democratize access to technology. And we use these terms now, trust me, back then, it was not these terms. It was sort of like, you know, yeah. don't put your ad in the yellow pages or your business name in the yellow pages, like put it on this thing up in the internet. What's that? Um so did that for a couple of years, and then I ended my sort of leading uh, divisions in companies at Gateway Computers, which was a Fortune 500 company at the time. Uh, and then I yep. spent a decade at Gartner uh, advising customers uh, and technology companies on how to improve going to market, uh, the impact of digital on the way they engage with brands, um, sales transformation, as well as indirect strategies. And that was really at a time where we were sort of promoting this concept of all companies were going to become tech companies, you know, whether it was a bank or, you know, whether it was a retailer, whether it was a car manufacturer, people didn't really understand maybe what that meant. They said, oh, we're going to be using more technology, but it wasn't that, right? It was really this shift to saying, no, we're actually going to develop our own technology and have our own proprietary solutions so that we can differentiate uh, in the marketplace. And then about seven years ago, uh, Salesforce knocked on the door and said, hey, you know, continue doing what you're doing uh, today, but do it for us and for our clients and, and um, you know, help us really transform externally sort of the narrative on how and where technology can improve um, the lives of not only, right, our customers, but our customers' customers, right, and helping them be successful. And then Somewhere in between there, uh, I wrote two books. First one, Growth IQ, that came out in 2018. And then this one, uh, The Experienced Mindset, that came out in June of 2023. Yeah, and it's a great book that's very timely today as we talk about the importance of better customer experiences, but just as importantly, especially since COVID, the importance of good employee experiences. So you recently did an interview with Seth Godin on your own podcast discussing the state of work. A lot has changed since the pandemic with remote work environments and people asking for and demanding different things. And how do you view the existing state of the workforce as well as the impact on customer experiences? You know, it's it's a great question because, look, I didn't land on the experience mindset one day because I was like, I think I want to, well, first of all, I had no plan of writing a second book. Let me, let me, let me start there. <laughs> let me start there. Um, but Growth IQ was 10 paths to growth. And, and it was really this culmination of 
my practicing days, right? Leading sales, marketing, and customer uh, service organizations. And then my kind of, if you will, in quotations, academic days, right? Being an analyst at Gartner and having, you know, sort of 4,000, 4,500 customer conversations. And I, I sort of broke down how companies grow across 10 growth paths. And I thought I'd nailed it, right? I was like, I have nailed it. Like it's these 10, I can, you know, bolt anything in there. And lo and behold, customer experience was my first path but I missed employee altogether. Like I, I did not give it its due in Growth IQ. I mentioned it a couple of times in the customer experience uh, chapter, but I did not give it the weight that it needed. Fast forward, pandemic hits, great resignations happening, quiet quitting, all of a sudden employees become the number one stakeholder to long-term uh company growth, according to the Edelman Group, to their trust barometer is actually where it was. It was the first time in a decade customer was displaced as number one by employee. So I was like, hold on a second. Like, let me let me understand what's happening. And that and I had been at Salesforce for a couple of years. So I was standing on um, stage right before the pandemic. And I said, I didn't think it was a coincidence. Salesforce is a great place to work. It's one of the most innovative companies in the world. And it was the fastest growing enterprise software company. And now I think it's the third or fourth largest uh, software company in the world. I didn't think that was a coincidence. And working here, I realized the power of culture, people, uh, just trust, and all the sort of inner workings of how we've been able to be so successful. And I wanted to prove the statement that everyone has said for a very long time, right? Happy employees, happy customers, get those two things right, greater growth rate. Uh, and and that was kind of in my wheelhouse. You know, Jim, listen, I am not an HR expert. I'm not a people expert. Like that is not where I have sort of grown up from an expertise standpoint. So I very much focused on the moment that matters when an employee touches a customer in some way, products they develop, the UI they develop, the FAQs they write, right? The sales process, the marketing, all of those things, or the service that a teller gives, all of that kind of um, employee engagement with a customer that really fascinated me. And that led me to um, writing the experience mindset. How do you define employee experience and the dynamics as it relates to employee engagement, which are very similar terms, but they aren't the same? Look, I didn't know the answer to that question. You know, I mean, I, I just said, right, I wrote an entire book that was translated in 12 languages, became a Wall Street journal bestseller, et cetera, et cetera. And I missed employee, right? Like I did not know the answer yeah. to that question. So I went to our uh, CMO at the time at Salesforce and I said, I'd like to prove this out. So we did uh, one study, US only, um, and it was publicly traded companies. We went and looked at publicly available information, net promoter scores, retention rates, growth rates, et cetera. And what we found was companies that were really good in customer experience, saw a lift in employee satisfaction KPIs. When we looked at those that were really good on the employee side, we saw a lift on customer experience or customer satisfaction KPIs. But when those two things were working in harmony, we saw a 1.8 times faster growth rate than those that only got one of those right. And so for a billion dollar brand, it could be a $40 million impact. So we knew we were on to something, but that kind of back of the envelope math, if you will, was not going to hold the test of time to, to someone who's going like, I'm going to make a strategic move here. Like I need to understand it better. Yeah. So we did a second one and that, and that was a, a global study we did with Edelman, where we looked at both the C-suite and employee cross industries, different sizes, um, uh, globally in six in six countries. And so what we found was we were able to identify what parts of the employee engagement had the greatest impact on customers. So it was things like technology, processes, training, career development. Do I feel that the company sort of backs me up and invests in me? Do I trust uh, my C-suite executives, right? Do they, are they accountable for what they say and what they do? It was very much around those kinds of attributes, if you will. And you could see a direct correlation then to their ability, their willingness, the opportunity for them to go that extra mile, to do what was necessary and do it with a smile on their face, right? I mean, at the end of the day, like, yeah. am I happy at what I do? And if I am, customers will feel it. If I'm miserable in my job, 
customers will also feel it, right? And so those are really the areas. And I, and I sort of categorize that into people, process, tech, which should be no surprise. But I added the fourth one of culture. And it was really across those four aspects I was able to identify, we were able to identify that had the greatest impact on customer experience. So it's interesting, you know, we talk about these terms as if they're easy to implement, easy to make work. And the reality is they aren't. I mean, culture is a nebulous term out there that, you know, it's one of those things you either have it or you don't. And, you know, it's either positive or negative. Yet, you know, the what, what do you see as the biggest challenge to creating an environment for a great employee experience? You know, how, how do you consult organizations to actually walk the walk as opposed to simply talking the oh, talk? Oh, such a great question. So, you know, I'm going to hone in on one part of the research we found. So the C-suite, 52% of them agree that the technology that they use is working effectively. So 52% agree it's working effectively, which then says, quick math, 48% know it isn't. So put that aside for a second, right? right? Okay. Then we said, all right, employees, what do you think? 32% of employees agreed the technology that they were using helped them, you know, was working effectively and helping them be more productive. So we already had a gap, right? 52, 32. Right. So a 20-point spread already. But the killer was only 20% only 20% of customer-facing employees agreed the technology they were using allowed them to collaborate easily, right, was seamless, you know, was effective and efficient to allow them to do their job. Outdated tech was the largest gap between what the C-suite thought was happening in the organization and what was actually, what employees actually said was happening. Now, remember, this is not comprehensive, right? It's not all things HR. It's not comp. It's not DE&I efforts. All very important. Right. All very important. Not part of this study, right? It was really at that moment that matters, right? When an employee was touching a customer. So that outdated technology was a huge component of it. And so if you think back and go, wow, I mean, that should stop anyone who's listening to this in their tracks. But the second side of that was, and, and this was separate research we had done um, with MuleSoft, which is a company that Salesforce acquired, the average yep. enterprise has a little more than a thousand applications in it. A thousand applications, individual applications. Now, some of those are HR and finance and should be carved away, right? Obviously, not everyone should have access to it. But only 26 or 27% of those thousand applications are actually integrated. So now let's go back to the stat. Only 20% of customer-facing employees agree the tech they're using, and only 27% of the thousand applications that an average enterprise has is integrated. Who bears the brunt of that lack of integration? Oh, employees, no doubt. right? And so as a customer, yeah. you call into a call center and you need help, and you get frustrated because it takes 20 minutes to do something, or an employee has to pass you around to three people, or they give you the wrong information, or they don't even know who you are. It's not like the employee wakes up every day and goes, you know what? Today is the day I'm just going to really piss off all the customers. <laughs> I'm just going to be a jerk on the on the phone. And, and, well, you know, what's interesting is in the old days when the expectations were lower, the reality was those customer service reps killed them with kindness. I mean, they, they did the best they could with what they had. But on the other side, the customers weren't necessarily expecting much more than that. They wanted more than that, but they understood that the dynamics weren't there. You know, today, consumers know that you should know them. They know that you have the ability to 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 understand them better, and they don't get it when you don't. And right. that makes it really difficult. But the point underneath that, Jim, is the fact that you are correct, right? Customer expectations are at an all-time high. 88% of customers say the experience they have with a brand is as important, is as important as the products and services that that brand is selling to them. So experience is critical, right? But the keepers of those brand promises, the keepers of delivering on that client expectation is not the C-suite, right? It is the employees, right? And it's not the IT. By the way, it's not the IT absolutely, area either. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. So we have to just yeah. do a better job. And I think during the pandemic, back to one of your original questions, you know, during the pandemic, it shined a spotlight 
on the lack of investments we've actually made for employees over the last couple of decades as we have raced to satisfy the increasing expectations of customers, right? As customer experience increased, we, we, the collective we, companies reduced the effort a customer would have to put forth to do something with a company, right? One click buy, I used to have to drive to a store, park, take three hours. Now on my phone or with my voice, I can order something and it shows up at the house same day or within two hours. I mean, right, that is that is exceedingly incredible bar to have to jump over, right, for, for companies to keep up pace. So we've been racing towards that. And unfortunately, the research showed we left our employees behind. We've actually increased the effort for employees to have to be able to deliver on these expectations. And sometimes they're unrealistic, but let's just call them customer expectations. And during that effort increasing for the employee, their experience has gone down. Their satisfaction has gone down or it's remained constant, if not flat. Well, it's interesting because it really gets down to democratization of data and insights as well. You know, if you, it used to be, it still is at many financial institutions I know that, that, you know, I know that if I went to that financial institution and got behind the doors and said, tell me everything you know about me, it would blow my mind in a positive and maybe a negative way. On the other hand, there's no employee and no area of the bank that is empowered to take data and insights and deploy them against the customer experience. So again, your gap becomes even more broad because the employee or the divisions of the financial institution want to do better, but they're not given the tools, as you said, the technology, but even more so the, the information that's behind that technology to deploy their insights better. I mean, I, you know, and, and what happens is you almost count the employee out. You know, I look at things like Hulu and Netflix where, you know, major decisions are made behind the scenes to make my viewing experience better. But that same knowledge of what I want is not known by the customer experience people, by the people trying to sell me, by the people trying to serve me. And I, I ran into this with Delta Airlines recently where I had a, an uncomfortable, let's say, flight back from Amsterdam. And while every employee tried to help, when I told them, you know, I spent this whole time in, in a nice class of service and not able to take advantage of that nice class of service to be able to actually sleep. And they offered me all they had to offer. And you go, wait, that, that's worth $100. That's not acceptable. Not, I'm not hard to please. But the reality is, don't insult me by your lack of knowledge of what my status is and all the other things, because there's a lot of money spent here. It didn't get any better as I reached out to the behind the scenes. And now I'm on the third level. But again, it's the democratization of data and, and insights to say, can you come to a equitable relationship decision on an ongoing basis? And if you can't, the employees are the ones who take all the heat. Yeah. And, and so, Leo, let's let's double click on banking as an example, right? Yeah. And you said it that you just said, right, it's the have the data, analyze that data, know more about me, make it more personalized, you know, all of those things, right? I still get solicitations for credit cards I already have. You know, yeah. and and I'm going to guess I'm not yeah. the only person. So do they send a million out a day like that? How much money does that cost them? Right. right? How many millions are spent sending a solicitation for a credit card for one people already have? And so that tells me you don't know who I am. I mean, I know the mostly why well, I know the reason, right? Right. It tends to be if it's a branded credit card, they're not actually the financial institution. The financial institution is sending it, but it's a branded credit card. So they're not sharing data. Well, at least at a minimum, share my name so that you can remove some of this you know, superfluous and, re and unnecessary spend. Right. But then let's go just to the financial institution. And, and I'm not tossing anybody under the bus, right? But I get called every once in a while from my, you know, my man, you know, somebody in the bank saying, we'd like to, you know, give you some advice on, you know, we've got wealth management advisors, we've got this, we've got that, right? We've got these things for you, but it's not personalized at all. I'm your personal banking, you know, contact or advisor, but then you don't say anything that makes me go, you just dialed a hundred people today and check the box. Mind you, this bank right. uses Salesforce technology. So I know they can do better. They have the capability. They have the exactly. capability to do better. 
So where is the gap? So that goes back to the, I could check the box. Yep. We've digitally transformed. We've made this acquisition of, you know, the industry leading technology as it relates to CRM in the financial services market, whatever, you know, we've got, you know, marketing cloud, we've got service cloud, we've got sales cloud, we've got all that we need. And yet that's the experience that I still have. So that's why I said it's people process tech. Let's just focus on process in tech because that's where it's falling apart. Right. And People usually ask when I share that stat about the C-suite and the customer facing, why do I think that is? Well, has the C-suite at the bank, That's what I was gonna ask. you know, <laughs> had the C-suite at the bank gone and been a teller a day, a month? Have they worked in the call center a day, a month? Have they made those wealth calls, right? Or, you know, advisor calls a day, a month? Um, you know, have they done things that's gotten them more connected or do they manage the business off the fantastic spreadsheet roll-up, you know, presentation that is very sterilized from the meat and potatoes of what's happening? And if you think that that's not what's going on, Undercover Boss is a perfect masterclass in how many leaders go, I did not know this was going on. And in my mind, when I watch that show, I'm like, I don't know how you don't know that's going on, right? But now you'll hear... You right. know, the Uber CEO is driving in the back, you know, he's driving for a day and he learned all these things or the Starbucks CEO is spending one hour <laughs> as a barista. You're like, why not just spend like yeah. a full day, like open the store, work the shift, close the store, order the stuff, stock the room, like work the drive through, like actually do it. And you'll start to see what's going right. on or, you know, from a very large online retailer, right, who pretty much sells, you know, everything to everybody all the time, um, you know, go work in the warehouse, be a driver without air conditioning in 105 degree heat, you know, and have the requirement of a two hour delivery that the customer expectation has increased. And you're not, I mean, you intuitively understand we need to do it, but actually living it gives executives a very different perspective on what the, you know, what the teller needs right? What the wealth manager needs, what the mortgage broker needs, what the financial advisor needs. It's very different than what you're getting as you get higher in the organization. It becomes further and further disconnected from the reality of your people. You know, it's interesting, Tiffany, that, that so many organizations believe that they can write a check to make it go away or make something happen it still gets down to leadership. And we're seeing it in every podcast we do. We can tell the successful from the less successful based on top leadership. Because again, to your point, just being out there for a moment and saying, oh, this is what it is, or I bought this technology to make it better for employees and make a better customer experience without seeing it through and saying, are we implementing that technology correctly? Are we using Salesforce, in your example, correctly to actually deploy that final mile, because, you know, just simply buying the tech doesn't do it. Um, you have to, you have to, again, walk the walk rather than talk the talk. And tech is not as important as people when it comes to the implementation phase. You know, yes, you need the technology, but you can't simply make a better customer experience by writing a check. Well, what has happened is we've spent billions of dollars on improving customer experience, right? Reducing that effort, improving the customer experience. Billions. We're going to journey map. We're automating. We're using AI. We're going to video or omni-channel. Customers can contact us in 10 different places, et cetera, et cetera. But we haven't made the same effort for employees that you would never make a customer ever jump through eight applications, open eight different tabs on their, on their, you know, on their desktop, to place an order with you. You would never do that to a customer, ever. But we do it to employees every single day, every single day. Right. So, you know, quiet quitting and, you know, some of the other things we found in the, in the, in the research, right? When, and you've yeah. said it, right? It is the people and process side of this conversation has huge implications to culture because culture is, do they care about me? Like, oh, here's another tool they've tossed over the fence that's going to make my life easy, easier, right? And lo and behold, it helps the customer, but I have to work twice as hard because I have to 
hop between two things. Um, so, you know, really understanding that disconnect and, you know, I'm, I'm about to make a statement that I don't want everyone freaking out, you know, and sending me a note, but I don't believe Salesforce sells technology. I know we sell tech, but just stay with me for a second. I believe we mm -hmm. sell change. Change on how companies engage with customers, change how employees actually do their job, change how companies approach digital data, trust, personalization, all the things we've just talked about, it's change. And change for humans individually is difficult. Imagine being a leader oh, and you have 10,000 <laughs> people yeah. that have to get yeah. on board and change. And that's where communication and transparency and culture and psychological safety and trust and all those words we throw around that make many executives feel it's too squishy and soft. If I can't track it and I can't measure it, I can't manage it. Um, those are the things that employees are desperately looking for. And if you're not doing them, th then you there should be no surprise that you have you know quiet quitting going on. Well, it's interesting. We have 80,000 ways to measure how well we're doing on the customer experience. How do organizations establish a robust measurement system for employee experience? Yeah. So I, I, I ask this question when I meet with executives. I say, tell me your top five KPIs for customer experience. And they usually can rattle them off fairly quickly, usually oh, yeah. because their comp is impacted by those, those performance metrics, yep. right? If your NPS score yep. dips, you know, it impacts your, if your churn rates go up for customers, like it impacts your, right. I mean, it has not only, you know, from a KPI standpoint, for, from a compensation standpoint, it has impact. Then I'll say, tell me your top five employee KPIs. And it tends to be like retention, right? Turnover, Turnover retention, yep. right? Yep. It, and and then they might go, I'll have to ask HR. You know, let me let me let me pull my yep. HR, you know, chief human resource officer or my HR lead. Let me ask them sort of what are the metrics. So right away that tells me comp isn't impacted, as as it is on the CX side, that they're not as in tune to what it is. And so, for example, if net promoter score is one that's on the customer experience side, are they doing ENPS or employee net promoter score? If it's a customer effort score, are they doing an employee effort score? If they're doing employee status or customer satisfaction, are they doing employee satisfaction, which they tend to usually do? You know, if they're doing customer churn rate, are they doing, you know, employee churn rates, right? Or that retention, they are usually doing those. But you very quickly start to see that the metrics are very robust, un well understood, um, have some length in them, right? Where they're learning, they're spending, they're testing, they're piloting, but we don't see that on the experience for the employee side. So I just asked that one question, map me out, you know, yep. one for one, do you have like KPIs for C as you do for E and vice versa? So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsors of this podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at microsoft.com backslash financial services. Welcome back to Banking Transform. So I'm joined today by Tiffany Bova, Growth Innovation Evangelist for Salesforce and publisher of the new book, The Experience Mindset. We've been discussing the importance of creating exceptional employee experiences that provide better customer experiences. So Tiffany, you, know, you mentioned before our break that you, you had a, a little a, a, something that may be an epiphany or something that is being said or un misunderstood about what Salesforce is with regard to what their role really is. When you look at a tech company, one of the challenges that I come across, not at Salesforce specifically, but most tech companies, that they sell great tech, they sell great solutions. The buyer knows why they're buying it. They know that they need it. But we don't help the buyer with that final mile. We don't help the buyer understand how to implement it in a way that can make a difference. What is getting in the way of tech companies actually making sure that their solutions are used 
the way they're meant to be. When I first got here, so now it's a little more than seven years. I got here. I got here in March of sixteen. Um, you know, the first six months, I really spent time with customers, right? Having conversations and listening and learning because I hadn't been on the vendor side now for a decade, right? So coming from Gartner, I'd, it was lots of vendors, um, but being on one vendor and, and and also having to learn the technology, right? Because I, I, don't, I didn't cover technology yep. in that way. And one of the very first things I heard fairly consistently during that six months was, we deployed Salesforce and I'm just going to focus on sales cloud or sales reps for a second. Mm -hmm. And our sellers aren't logging in. They're not using it. We're not getting the return on that investment. What can you help us do to make that happen? And initially I was very confused, right? Like I'd be like, well, I don't know how, like we don't control your people, right? Like we don't train them. We don't inspire them. Like we don't, you know, we have no ability to influence your employees' willingness <laughs> to use the technology. So I, I I went back, you know, after I'd heard it, you know, about a dozen times, I went back to our customer success organization, to our leader at the time. Um, and and uh, Maria Martinez, who is now the COO, chief customer officer at Cisco, but she was our customer success lead um, uh, at Salesforce. And she had been a client of mine when she was at Microsoft when I was at Gartner. So we knew each other. So I went back to Maria and I was just like, hey, I- I'm, I'm, I'm a little perplexed, right? Like, wh- what do we do in this situation? I mean, Jim, right to your point, like, how do we help our customers take advantage? And once again, I'm just talking about salespeople in this particular example, right. not use it as a very expensive Rolodex. <laughs> Which, for those of you listening who don't know what that is. It- or, or simply do nothing with it. I mean, we see so many firms that buy something. Maybe it creates great reports. I mean, Salesforce creates great reports. So you get great reports and that doesn't move the needle. It simply gives you more information. Plus, you know, at most tech companies, including Salesforce, it puts every sale at risk on an annual basis when that bill comes. Because you go, well, what, what's the revenue? This is supposed to be a revenue generator. No. <laughs> Not a report generator. Yeah, and so so I, I we had this really interesting and illuminating and eye opening conversation because I hadn't looked at it this way because I just was not this I was not in the last mile I'd spent a decade at thirty five thousand feet oh, right yeah. like I was not at the last mile by any stretch so now I'm at I'm in the thick of the last mile right and I had I used to be a single user version of act a single user version of goldmine i ran 130 oh my god yeah yes. i ran a yep. and word perfect i ran 130 million dollar recurring revenue business out of an excel spreadsheet pretty much you know because of the fact that technology wasn't there yet now fast forward right we that is not the situation we're in now so this is why right. i said salesforce doesn't sell tech it sells change so i start asking questions and in the room of people telling me that it wasn't working, lo and behold, it was sales ops or revenue ops. It was IT, no leaders, no sales leader, no marketing leader, no customer success leader. So they were trying to push the rock uphill from an IT point of view, like we've deployed it, we've trained, go be free. But there was no real change management, process assessment, for them to say, hold on, why is this happening? And lo and behold, for sellers specifically, like if they're just data entering all day long and they see no value back out of the technology, unfortunately, what happens is they just stop using it. So it cannot be just an input mechanism. It has to add value in the output. How does it make me smarter, more productive, more uh, informed? How do, does it help me become a trusted advisor? Sort of all the things salespeople aspire to do. Is the technology helping me do that? So, you know, a teller or a mortgage broker or a financial, you know, services advisor, whatever it is, when I sit on the other side of the table, but if I'm that person who works for that bank, I want to be like, Tiffany, I see that you get these two things twice a year. Like my bank knows I get a bonus twice a year, but if they don't, they're not paying attention, right? Like, so, so then you should say, reach out. Hey, Tiffany. We know it's probably getting close to bonus time. <laughs> you know, would you like to invest in this or that or do this or that? Oh, they know me. They care about me. And in many ways, they're a salesperson, but they're called a financial advisor, right? Or whatever they are, uh, terminology. Yeah, but right. at the end of the day, they're kind of in sales. 
So if the more personal you can be, the more you know about me. Now, mind you, heavily regulated industries like banking and financial services, there's lots of things you can't do. So if I'm saying something that is illegal, take it for what how I'm saying it, right? I'm just giving an example of right. what oh, you yeah. can yep. do if you are willing to change the behavior of the person, but they have to be willing to do that. And that's why I say it has to start at the top. It has to be reinforced. People have to understand why they're doing it. Even if they don't like it, the more they understand why, they want to feel like they know how to use it. I can't count on two hands or two feet how many times I'd sell million-dollar technology projects You know, in the day I was selling. And the at the last minute, what would get cut? Training. What would get cut? Sort of the change management. What would get cut? Right, Any customization. And all of a sudden, then they'd be like, why isn't it working the way we thought? Right. So um, it, it is just um, short sightedness. They check the box. It's a lot of money. They don't get the value. Uh, and then they blame the technology provider um, instead of saying, let me look internally at our internal inertia or our internal processes or our unwillingness to actually have a beginner's mind and change some of the things we've done that, by the way, may have been successful for the last three decades, but are no longer working. So, you know, it may even require different leaders. You know, it's interesting. We've been talking about the benefits of technology, but digital transformation really impacts the internal soul of every employee. I think it can be safely said that most employees look at their, over their shoulder daily to say, is this new technology going to disrupt my job? Is it going to take my, my place at my role that I've done for years? How do you think organizations have to do better at integrating digital transformation, digital technology within an employee's job to make it so they're not threatened daily. I mean, yeah. for in the banking industry, tellers are every day worried, oh my gosh, digital banking is going to take over my role as a teller and put me out of work. A back office employee who's always done credit adjudication says, there's new technology coming out that can do that. I'm worried about my job. And when it comes to it, you know, those are going to be roadblocks you're going to have to deal with sooner or later because employees will find a way to protect themselves in a way that's not vicious, but it certainly lacks effectiveness within the organization. It's going to break the process. Well, weren't ATMs going to replace banks? <laughs> that didn't happen. Yeah, good point. That didn't happen. Yeah. You know, the, the thing is, is that customers want and use certain channels for certain things. I go physically into a bank for very specific and limited reasons. I do 90% of my banking online. I still go to an ATM because like you, I travel a lot. I actually need cash because sometimes you yep. find yourself in a situation where credit cards are not an option. Um, and and I think that, that that will continue. You have a generation who's never stepped foot in a bank. Like they've done everything online. They may never write a check. I had this conversation right. with someone the other day. Like I still write checks. People are like, no, wire me the money or just, you know, do it and, you know, Venmo me or <laughs> Zelle me or yeah. pay PayPal me or whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to actually, I'm going to write you a check. And some of that is generational. Um, but I think that it's about customer choice. And it's about making sure that in certain situations, you are available for your customers to want to do something for you and with you. Now, I was reading a study, uh, and I forget who it's with, and you're probably going to ask me, and I'll have to find it for you. But I, I think you may have even commented on it um, when I posted it in uh, uh, online. And it was about why digital transformations fail, and their success rates have declined. And they dug into why they think that's happening. And one of the top reasons, it was either one of the top reasons or the top reason, was the willingness of employees to actually embrace what that transformation was. Like I used to do it paper Correct. and now I have to do it online, right? I used to be able to, you know, uh, see my client face to face. Now it's a video call. Or, you know, I used to have to go into these three applications. Now I can only go into this one. The other three are gone. I'm not willing to do whatever that digital transformation is that has, go back to that word, changed what I do every day, how I do it, and, and even potentially yep. where I do it, right? And so that's yep. why the people side of this conversation of employee is, you know, the net net of it is when you make a decision for customer going forward, wherever you are in the organization, 
first-time manager all the way up to a C-suite listening to this, I want you to just take a pause, take a beat and say, hold on, what is the implication to our employees for this change I'm about to make? One, two, how much are we investing into taking them along in this journey to help them be more willing to do the things we need them to do? And then say, okay, if, if it's not, if they're not, what are we doing to close that gap? Because if you don't make those investments and your people aren't willing to do what you now have enabled them to do, or they're not, they don't know how to do what you've just enabled them to do, um, or they think what you've done makes no sense. <laughs> so, you know, they're not, again, willing to do it those millions of dollars of spend will be for naught. And the smaller you are as of an organization, the more risk that brings you in your ability to remain relevant and to stay being a company if your people aren't willing to do what you want them to do. So you have to inspire people to want to change. They have to understand how it impacts their their job. They want to see their role and what they do every day and the success of the company. I mean, it's really basics, but we've moved so far away from it because, you know, digital was going to, you know, save the world and create world peace, which which we know that that's just not possible, right? We have to have the human element equally engaged um, to, to make those things come to fruition. You know, as anybody who listens to the podcast regularly knows, I'm a, a huge fan of Liz Wolverton at Sonovus Bank in Georgia. One of the conversations we had with her was, how do you close branches? And she says, the first way we work towards closing branches is to sit down with our employees and let them know, number one, what's our why? Number two, how will that affect them? And number three, how is this going to move the customer forward in the future? She goes, if we do that and we do it well and, pe- and employees buy in, we aren't going to have the situation where the employees bad-mouthing our company or when the customer comes in and says, what's going to happen to you? And the person just says, I don't have a clue. They haven't told me yet. Those kind of things are a big deal. That's culture. The culture of communication to employees and valuing your employees as an, an increasingly important part of the customer experience. Now, this could be an employee that never really directly talks to a customer But if they don't understand the why and the understanding of where their role is going to transform with this new technology, they'll put a wrinkle into the mix. And and it's extraordinarily important. And and that's what was interesting about your book. You give so many case studies, so many examples of why the employee experience, number one, is many times taken as as a afterthought. And number two, how important it is as a driver of a better customer experience. And you know, when you're looking at this overall, we also have to look at the fact that the unemployment rate is very low right now. There's increasing need for new talent and new experiences. At the same time, we need to find people that are gonna buy into the fact that they're gonna have an impact on customer experience. How do you find the right people? Yeah, and I worry that the low um, unemployment rate is a false positive right? Is, is it low because people are quiet quitting and, right. and exactly. they're just collecting a paycheck and you know there's not a lot of open jobs or they just don't have the willingness to go and get a new job and relearn something and you know the lift that has to happen there. So is that a is that that now all of a sudden people are so engaged at work and fulfilled and find joy and love what they do? Is that what's happening yeah. and why the you know unemployment rate is right. so low? Exactly. Uh, or, right? Or is it the latter that we, you know, because if you look at Gallup's poll and others, employee satisfaction has remained fairly flat or constant and is actually a little bit down. So if satisfaction is down and employment is in an all time, you know, unemployment rates in an all-time low, those two things don't there's reconcile. Some, there's something wrong they're, with that. They, they exactly. don't reconcile. Yeah. So, you know. So that bank leader that you were just mentioning, I would have loved to have double clicked on that and said, when you're going to close that that branch, did you offer your employees to be reskilled and maybe they could work remotely in a call center because they worked here, right? And offer them other positions or opportunities, or was it just we're closing and you know thank you for working here, right? And so I I think that reskilling. Um, and and understanding that disconnection between satisfaction and low unemployment 
is do you survey your employees? And don't ask them 92 questions or even 50, like ask them one. Like what yeah. could bring you more yep. joy in your job every day? But ask that one question. And if yeah. you're a very small business listening to this, it's manageable. Do it in an email box. If you get to a middle-sized company, you know, you're 250 employees sort of above, that probably won't work. You have to use a survey tool, let's say. You know, if you're above 1,000 employees, it may be a more regular survey. But now if you're above 1,000 employees, let's survey each department and division and region and location because they are different. A manager in one location may be knocking it out of the park, doing a great job. A manager in another location, not doing a great job. But if you look at them collectively, it peanut putters it and it looks like everything is going along fine, right? And you don't have the ability to find hot spots or opportunities for improvement. So the second question I get all the time, you know, is if this is so obvious, why isn't everyone doing it? Yep. Right? The KPI one you asked yeah. is sort of second. Oh, yeah. Third is who yeah. owns it. And that's sort of a land grab asset allocation, budget, headcount, power, control question versus that's why I called it the experience mindset. Um, but the third is literally where to start. And it is really here. Sit in the that call was my center. my next question. So yeah. where do you start? Yeah, sit in the call center, go out with your employees while they're with customers, hear them in their conversations, um, you know, find ways in which you can managed by wandering around very Tom Peters, which I know we both, we both love, love a lot of Tom. You know, as you were saying yep. that, I'm going like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm listening to Tom Peters yep. again. Yeah. Management by wandering around. And it's no surprise, or it should be no surprise that Tom wrote the forward to my book because, you know, a lot of this is from, uh, you know, uh, in search of excellence and, and, and really kicked off my career, understanding the power of that. Um, and the power yep. of the simple word of you have to care and the way to care is to ask your employees and not just ask them, but then capture the information, action it. And if you action it and fix it, great. If you action and you say, we're not going to fix it, to your point, Jim, tell them why not. So they may not agree with it, but now at least they go, I understand, right? I understand. Like, you know, your parents say, get home by midnight. And you're like, I, you know, I don't really understand why it's just some arbitrary time or 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock or whatever it is. And then they sit you down and explain why you might not like it, <laughs> but now at least they've explained why. Right. And, and maybe even you might get lucky as they're explaining, they might go, well, that's kind of a stupid reason. Go ahead. You can come home at 11. Right. Like whatever. Um, but those are the very simple things. And, and I think as I've shared more and more of the experience mindset over the last couple of weeks, um, what I hear pretty consistently back is this is really basic stuff. Like these are things that leaders should be doing without it being, you know, called out or, you know, lead from the heart or, you know, be more empathetic or, you know, listen more. I mean, we are having these conversations because it's not happening. So, you know, I, I think that it's not a multi-million dollar, multi-year project, bring in 10 consultants to fix your employee experience. This is yep. ask your employees what's not working, then start working hard to fix it, just like you do for customers. You know, Tiffany, great place to end. And, and it's interesting because you, you, I was thinking about how I wrapped it up. And you said so many things that were in my mind as far as wrapping up. And, and the one I'd say to all my listeners is what we're talking about here is not something you don't already know. It is not something you probably don't know how to already fix. I highly suggest reading Tiffany's book, The Experienced Mindset, because if nothing else, it will remind you are we really doing it? Are we simply giving it a, yeah, but we're doing that. Do you really know if you're doing it? Have you set up measurement tools to say you can measure it against it? And are you doing what Liz Wolverton does at Sonovus around making sure their employees are well aware of the why and how it affects them before any major customer service impact is going to take place? Because if they don't get it, your customers are going to feel it. And, you know, the takeaway from, um, Tiffany's book is really, if you drive a great customer employee experience, it will impact a great customer experience and make for an overarching total experience that is really going to make a difference in the marketplace. It's easy to work the way everybody else is working and be middle of the road. It's really hard 
to do the tough stuff and to embrace change, as we say often on this podcast. So, Tiffany, thank you so much. I know that people can pick up your book on Amazon, any other place they buy buy books. And again, congratulations on making it to the best, to the top of the bestseller list for a book that's still relatively new. And you certainly hit a hot button. I think a lot of organizations need to at least brush themselves up on. I, I said the same thing to Tom Peters that, you know, people could dig the book out from 1982 and reread it. They would learn as much as they did back in the 80s around what Tom Peters has said. The same goes with your book. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Jim. And and as always, I, I so appreciate your continued support of my work. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take 30 to 45 seconds to show some love in the form of a review. It helps us to continue to get great guests. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and take advantage of the recent research we're doing on the digital banking report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Remember, investing in people is no longer a nice to have. It's a must have. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.